0: Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. As we continue our study in the book of Romans, and our text this morning will be verses 21b and 22. But in order to put it in context, I want to go back all the way to verse 16 and read to the end of verse 23. Romans chapter 1 beginning at verse 16. Listen to God's word this morning. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. being understood through that which has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. There ends the reading of God's word this morning. Join with me in prayer before we walk through this text this morning. Our gracious Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us so that we might know you and understand you and know who we are in relation to you. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that is given to us that we might, he might illuminate the truths for us so that we might know it for sure. And so this morning, again, I pray that we will be convinced of these texts, that we will wrestle with these truths, and that we will make them part of who we are, and we will submit to your truth. So again, change us, I pray, through your word this morning, that you might be glorified in your church, in your name. Amen. Well, there's always consequences to things that we do, and oftentimes there's unintended consequences. They introduced the LED light bulb because we were going to not only save the planet, but we were going to save electricity. And this would reduce the consumption of the need for electricity and everything would be better. So they put them on sale, people bought them, and they put them on their homes, in their homes. And what they discovered is that power use went up. Well, how could this be? Well, they, taught, they didn't take into account that people said, hey, it's only 11 watts, let's just leave it on. So they left the basement lights on and the garage lights on and the, all of the ho- lights in the yard. And they ended up using more electricity because they thought they were saving electricity. Unintended consequences. And that's really what Paul is going to be dealing with in our text today. There are people who act in a certain way, only there are consequences, there are spiritual consequences for them. In fact, he says, because they reject God and they reject what they know about God and they refuse when they know God to honor him or give thanks, to give him the glory that he deserves and to be thankful for the things that he provides, there's unintended consequences that come. And they become faulty in their thinking. They become futile in their speculations. Their foolish hearts are darkened, and they have this foolish self-confidence in verse 22, professing to be wise, they become fools. Unintended consequences but that's exactly what Paul will say happens to those who reject the truth of God. Now I want to remind you that Paul has introduced in this book the theme of the of this gospel which is or this epistle, sorry, it's not a gospel, is is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is necessary because in that gospel, uh, there's a righteousness that comes from God that men need. Men are fallen, they need the gospel, they need a righteousness that comes from God. They need to be justified, declared righteous by God and it only comes through faith. And he says, here's the problem really, as he begins verse 18, there's a problem here. God's wrath is being revealed. And really, in this section between 18 and verse 32, he's dealing with all those who would reject God outright, those who don't claim to follow the God of the Bible, those who maybe have never even heard of the God of the Bible, never even heard of the Bible itself, And he says there's a problem. The reason people need to be justified, the reason they need God's righteousness, the reason they need the gospel, the reason the gospel is good news is because God's wrath is being revealed right now. And it's being revealed against all those who reject God, those who do not know God. And Paul started here by giving us two reasons why. First of all, there's a there's a willful rejection or rebellion against God's law. They, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against the ungodliness and righteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Men live in rebellion against God's law. They live in ungodliness and unrighteousness. A failure to love God, a failure to fear God, a failure to worship God, a, f- a failure to honor Him. And so they live in, in a rebelliousness against God, a lack of conformity to what God has laid out in his character. But then he began here in verse 19 to give us a second reason why God's wrath is being revealed against, we would say, those, who, those pagans, those who refuse to accept that there is a God, the God of the Bible, and that's because of, the, of a willful ignorance of God's person. They are willfully ignorant of God. In fact, we're introduced to that in the end of verse 18, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. There's a conscious moral choice to take and suppress the truth about God because it says, "Because because that which is known about God, in other words, there's evidence about God, is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. God has revealed himself and we see this for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Being understood through that which is made so that they are without excuse. In other words, God of the universe declares, I have revealed myself through creation. Now, creation is not me. But you can see that there's a God. You can see my eternal power and divine nature through, as you look at the creation. This is a means to show you who I am. And he says, it's evident to you because I made it evident to you. In other words, I gave you the capacity not only to see it, but the mental capacity to, to understand that that creation couldn't have come from nowhere. Something doesn't come from nothing. You know that intuitively because God has given that to you. And you, you witness the power in creation and you say, there must be a God who, who to harness this power. How could we come here? This God must be eternal. And men knew that, know this because God says what? I made it evident to you. And so the God of the universe declares this to, to be true. And like we said, God does not believe in atheists, Right? They may not believe in him, but he doesn't believe in them because he says, actually, you know that I exist. And so as we began to go through this, we saw last week that the wrath of God is being revealed against them. Why can God be justly angry with them? Because men are rejecting the truth that they know. They are rejecting, they are willfully ignorant of who God is. In fact, they do, not only are they, will, they are willfully ignorant of him because they are in rebellion against him. For even though, they, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or good things. And again, we said, it's not that they knew God savingly, but they recognized that there was some information that there must be a God, that he exists, that there's this power and that he must be eternal. These things they know. But when they knew that, they didn't honor him as God. They didn't say, okay, I will give him, I will, I will seek him, I will worship him, I will honor him, I will give him the glory due his name. Because as I look at this world, I see the magnificence of it. And if he created it, he must be even more magnificent. And therefore, I will glorify him for what I know. They rejected that. And they weren't thankful for what God had provided for them. And so they were in open rebellion. But now as Paul comes to the second part of 21, he comes to the consequences of that rebellion, the consequences of that rebellion. And there are consequences that come as a result of rejecting the truth about God. There's, there's, there are consequences that are a result of man's actions. Now, Paul, I want you to notice something as we go into our text this morning. And that is, I want you to notice the verbs in verses 21 to 23. They're active, they're active. Man is doing something. The first one is in verse 21. They did not what? Honor him, all right? And they did not what? Give thanks. That was an active choice. They they did that. The next active verse is in verse 23. For even though they knew God, they what? No, they exchanged, I'm sorry, the glory of the incorruptible God. You see that? These are verbs of doing. These are actions that they took. But I want you to notice in verse 21 You can see this in the English. It's even more clear in in the original, but he says this. It says in verse one, it says they became, in verse 21, they became futile. They became futile. They didn't act futile, they became futile. That's passive. Something happened to them, right? As a result of not giving God honor and not giving thanks, They became futile. And then it continues on. It goes on to say that their heart was darkened. Again, this happened to them. And then verse 22, passive, they became fools. They became fools. So what does it mean What is happening to them and how is it happening and who's doing it to them if it's a passive? Well, some have suggested that this is the wrath of God, that God is the one who is now making this happen. But I don't think this is God working because God gets active in verse 24. Notice verse 24, God gave them over. As a result of what's happened in the earlier verses, God gave them over. Verse 28, God gave them over. God gave them over. So there's no indication in verse 22 and 21 to 23 that God is yet actively producing these things in them. So what's taking place? Well, we started off by what? Consequences, natural consequences, unintended consequences of action. In other words, the consequence of man's rebellion against the true God, this is what's being described. This is what happens when man refuses to honor God as God and when he refuses to give him thanks. These are the natural consequences of man's actions. It's just like stepping off the roof, right? Right? you're active in stepping off the roof, gravity will take care of the rest, right? There are natural consequences and that's exactly what's taking place, right? It's no different than the math test. You get the first, you add two and two and you add five, it doesn't matter how good your math is the rest of the way, you've you've missed it. There's consequences. And so there are several natural consequences that take place. And as we said at the beginning, the first one is faulty thinking or skewed thinking. Look at verse 1, I mean 21. I'm number challenged today. I shouldn't have given that math illustration. Verse 21, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. There's their rebellion right? They, they made a conscious choice not to do that. And we said these active verbs here are, this is the, is the natural response of man. He always responds the same way. This is customary. This is what he does. Confronted with God's truth, he does not, he does not glorify God or honor him. And the consequence of that rebellion is they became futile in their speculations, Now I want you to listen very carefully. Because as we look at our world around today and we look at our society today, this should just ring some bells. It should just ring some bells, okay? When someone refuses to glorify God, he has effectively, now listen to this, effectively denied reality. Because he says, I refuse the truth of God. God is real. God is true. God is exactly who he's declared himself to be. And when you say no, you are denying the reality of who God is. You are denying the reality of what he has laid out. You are suppressing the truth of God. And when you do that, when you you ultimately do what? You refuse to glorify him or give thanks. You say, I see it, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to deny that it's happening, right? Well, the f- word futile means useless, and therefore worthless, all right? In other words, their speculations are worthless. In other words, there's no value in them. There's no spiritual value. There's no ability to actually tell you who God is. There's no value in them that would make you pleasing to God. Word speculations comes from two words: through dia and logizmos, which is reasoning. It refers to reasoning, an opinion, or deliberating, or deliberating, and and it can really be used for the process of thinking, or it can refer to the conclusions that you reach in your thinking, or thirdly, it can even be used for a verbal exchange about your thinking. That's where we get the word English word dialogue. But Paul is really concentrating on those first two. It refers to that process of thinking and the conclusions you reach in your thinking. So what is he talking about? What what thinking? Are you saying that all unbelievers are not able to come to any kind of conclusions at all? No. But what he is primary He's not thinking here primarily about... About everyday decisions, the day-to-day thoughts, right? So when what he's not talking about people being able un, un, the unbeliever not being able to decide which car is best for him. He's, he's not he's not saying that he's unable to uh, know what job to take, or even what to do at his work. He's not talking about those kind of decisions. But Paul is saying when you refuse to acknowledge God, the ultimate, ultimate basis of logic and reason is gone. Because God is logical, God is true, and when you refuse when what you clearly know to be true, it's not logical. And your reasoning can't be logical because you're already, you've already rejected what you know to be true. And therefore, your thinking will be flawed, the fruit of your your thinking and the conclusions you come to will be flawed and worthless as well. And what he's speaking about here is particularly about worldviews. He's talking about philosophies. In other words, he's talking about the purpose, why am I here? What's the purpose of what life? What is life all about? One commentator, Cranefield, says, all their thinking suffers from the fatal flaw, the basic disconnection from reality involved in their failure to recognize and to glorify the true God. When you reject what you know to be true, you reject what? Reality. You reject reality. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. Instead of accepting revelation, they become philosophers. And what is a philosopher? A man who claims that he is starting by being skeptical about everything, that he is an agnostic. I'm going to have all the data, he says, and then I'm going to apply it to my my mind to it. I'm going to reason it out. I'm going to work it out. And that's exactly what such men have done. They have become foolish and wicked in their reasoning and in their thoughts and in their conjectures and their speculations. You remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.20, the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise that they are what? Useless. Useless. You see, when you remove the very basis of knowledge, the very foundation of any subject, you make it impossible to come to an accurate understanding of what it is. Right? You can't. If you start with 2 plus 2 is 5, and and there are those who are now proposing that that's actually a right answer. But when you leave 2 plus 2 is 4, and you say it's five, you've already messed the basis of math up. What, where do you go from there? You'll never get a right answer because two plus two is what? Four. It's four. The reality is it's four. When you come in and you say, I have three arms, we don't say, yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. We say what? You've got two arms, right? Because that's what? Reality. Can you imagine studying the human body and then laughing at the idea of atoms? How far would you get when you didn't believe in cells? I'm going to study the universe, but I. I I don't think there's such a thing as space. Right? If you're starting from those those beginnings, you're going to end up, what, with false conclusions. And in the same way, if you turn from the one true God, you refuse to start with him as the foundation of your knowledge. You arrive in your study at some correct facts about the human body and matter of the universe, but your overarching system will be, what, inherently flawed. Right? And how many of our philosophical systems are logical once you buy the very premise of it? Right? And so you have to start somewhere. And once you get started, then it's logical from there. But when you get down to it, you look at the very basis of it. And it's what? It's false. Right? We look at at the theory of evolution. It works really, really good after there's matter and it works really, really good after there's life. Unfortunately, where did those come from, right? And you're building a straw man and that's exactly what you do if you refuse to accept the truth that God exists and who he is. You can build all kinds of straw men and they look super good, but that's exactly what they are because you have denied the cornerstone of knowledge, God himself. And so we will see you will deal with people in the greatest human minds, brilliant people, and they will come up with systems and worldviews that sound good, but are built on a faulty premise. Now I found it interesting and I discovered this and it's not my idea, so please. But there's basically in the world about between seven to 11 worldviews. That's it. You can put everybody kind of in these broad categories. James Sire lists eight worldviews. He says, first of all, there's the Christian theism which we, will, which we understand that God created the heavens and the earth, that he, he, we are accountable to him. He created all things for his glory. All things exist for that. He created in six literal days, as Andy used to say, he believes in long creation. God did it in six days. He could have done it faster, but he took his time, right? But we, God says, I created, God takes, he takes glory for creation. He takes credit for it. And so we're here to glorify God. Now there's a second worldview, and that's called deism. And deism is really the belief in a higher power, a supreme being. Uh, there's still a belief after, of life after death, but it, re- it re- really rejects revelation as the way to find that. We just find that through studying the universe through our reason, observation rather than scripture. That's, that's not it. And it's an intellectual movement and really we would say that the, the American Revolution in early America was based on this. This is what their documents are. They're deistic, there's deistic language in there. Then there's nihilism. It believes that life is meaningless and the only truth is existence itself. The only truth in life is that we exist. That's it. There's no purpose and there's no reason. Extent then number 5 next one existentialism is a phil, uh, philosophical belief that we are each responsible for creating purpose or meaning in our own lives. All right? So our meaning in life doesn't come from anything outside of us. We just create it our own. The government doesn't give it to us. Religion doesn't give it to it. Teachers, authorities or anybody else. We just decide what the meaning of life is, and then we go for it. Then there's Eastern pantheistic monism, all right? Everything is God. The tree is God. The rock is God. Your car is part of God. New Age worldview emphasizes the idea of everything in existence is intricately. I should have practiced that connected as part of a single whole so they, they re- reject both the division between matter and spirit or in even the reductionism of science, just everything is connected number eight is postmodernism. this has taken hold quite a bit and it's an intellectual stance or mode of discourse characterized by skepticism to the use of reason and logic can't get there by reason and logic. And it questions the the narratives and rejects the certainty of knowledge and stable meaning. It acknowledges the influence of ideology. So you can't know anything for sure. Nice. You go through life, all life is unknowable. Really, we, we really just can't know. But the one that is premier in our society today is naturalism. Naturalism. And it's everywhere. It's in everything we read, everything that you hear, and it influences us in ways that we are often unaware of. Here's what naturalism is number one, matter is all that exists, and it has existed eternally. Right? Matter is eternal, it's always been there, just hanging out. Number two, the cosmos is a closed system. In other words, there's no one outside. The world, there's nothing miraculous. There's no supernatural, no spirit being. This is it, it's a closed system. There's just material stuff that's always existed. This is all there is. Human beings are not body and soul. Instead, they are merely complex machines. They are simply another version of animals. You're just a biological blob that got here by accident. Number four, death is extinction. There's nothing after death. Now, if you believe that, what does that lead to you to do in this life? By and large, it's what? Self-fulfillment. I may as well get everything that I've got. I've got one kick at the can, only going around once and then the big dirt nap. so I better get her done now, right? Number five, naturalism, says life and history are random. There's no overarching purpose, it's just random, right? You got here by chance, right? You're, you're a product of chance and life is out of control. An unfortunate set of events, right? Number six, morality is determined solely by the individual and the circumstances. Therefore, truth is what? Relative. There's no absolute truth. It's all determined by you. It's a closed system. There's no one outside who sets the standard? It's up to me. Really, I, I don't even know where we, we would even get that basis because if you're, if you're here by accident, why would we even? What is truth? Like, what, what difference does it make? And that's what rules our culture here today naturalism, right? Everything. Everything has a natural cause. There's no supernatural. There's no right or wrong necessarily. You just determine what you think is right and wrong. Sometimes we recognize that all of the battles that we think we're fighting and all of the things we see wrong going in society, we think that somehow they're unrelated, but they're all back related to exactly coming from this blueprint. Right? We're fighting on separate battles. We might be fighting uh, over evolution or abortion or same-sex marriage, but it all comes back to this. Morality is what? Determined by us, because there's nothing to give an account to. There's nothing outside of what is here. Well, from God's perspective, there's only one real, true worldview. And that's the Christian worldview. God is the creator of the universe. He created all things. He created you and me. He created all things for his glory. We are to live for him. And to live for any other reason is to reject this worldview and to live with a different philosophy And then you have come to what? Substitute reality for something that is not real. And we are warned, Paul even warns us, not to think like the pagans around us. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul makes it very clear. In fact, you'll notice a lot of Similarities or parallelism between this text and Romans 1, Ephesians 4.17. Paul writes, So I say this, so this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk." in what futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. You can see the similarities. But notice he says in verse 17, he says, I say, and it's not just me, the Lord says together with me that you should no longer walk as pagans, specifically what? In the futility of their thinking. In their futile speculations is what he's talking about. Now, this is especially interesting in light of the context of Ephesians. If you turn back over to Ephesians chapter 2, 1. Paul says, beginning in verse 1, you were dead, right? Right? Before you were saved, you were dead. You were dead in, in your trespasses and sins in which you, uh, you formally walked. You walked locked, lock and step in slavery to it. In the course of this world, or literally the age of this world, this age of this cosmos. The spirit of the age. In other words, when you, before Christ, you were walking exactly in their what? Thinking. In their value system. But when you got saved, what? You were changed. You were made alive. Verse, he says in one. Therefore, walk in a manner worthy of your calling, which you have been what? Called. You have been changed. You've been changed in your thinking, and now you need to walk in that way. And one of the things that we must guard against is we have a temptation in the church to try to appease the thinking of the world. We tend to think that, well, what they've discovered out there must be true. Therefore, we are going to go to Scripture and to find out if, if it matches. And we must realize that the philosophies of the world are by nature hostile to God, rejecting God, and all of their conclusions, therefore, are what skewed. And we've, unfortunately, in the church, have adopted many things like theistic evolution. Why? Because we found it in exegesis and the word of God, and we've discovered something we haven't discovered before? No, because we want to appease the world, and we want them to, th- to accept us and think that we're Okay. We've taken psychology and introduced it to the church. Because after all, can so many smart men be wrong? And the Bible says what? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we often forget, we often forget that, these, that at the root of many of these philosophies is what? The rejection of God. It is the rejection of God, what they start with. They start with, a no, with non-reality, and then we lose track of that, and we take their conclusions as if their conclusions are, are they must be good, forgetting that they started with a polluted foundation to begin with, and their conclusions cannot be true. And so we must reject those ideas. So, a hard hearted rebellion leads to what? Flawed thinking. Next, he says here in verse 21, he goes on to say, For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Now, we know when we see the word heart in Scripture, both in the Old and New Testament, we don't use heart in the same way that we use it in English. Uh, in biblical terms, really the, the heart describes the, the center or the inner part of the human being. It's that place of the, of the, of the mind, of the will and emotions together, primarily the place of thinking. It's a place where you assess, it's where you conclude, it's where your desires come from. Out of the heart, the mouth, what, speaks. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adulterers, adulteries. As a man, what, thinks in his heart, so is he. That's truly who he is. Romans chapter 10, Paul deals with the gospel. He preaches in verse eight. He says in this message, I preach to you is what? Near in your what? Heart. And specifically verse 9, if you what? Believe in that heart, right? If you believe that. In other words, the heart is the place where you are what? Believing, you're thinking. So he talks about facts. You believe that the facts that Jesus is the Christ. Your heart is where you think. But your heart is also where you experience emotions. He turn over to chapter 9 verse 2. As he thinks about the lostness of Israel, he says, I have what? Great sorrow and unceasing grief, what? In my heart. So, so there's, that, there's thinking, there's emotion in that heart. It's where you make decisions. This is the seat of your will. Turn back to chapter 2, verse 5 of, of Romans. He's talking about the unrepentant religious. He says, because of your stubbornness and what? Unrepentant heart. You're willfully choosing, right? You're making decisions not to repent. So Paul says this is, the heart is really just the center of of your inner being. where Where you have mind, will, emotions, decision making. Now Paul goes on to describe the pagan heart and he says, first of all, their foolish heart. The word foolish literally means without understanding. They are without understanding. In fact, it's the same Greek word used down in verse 21. Notice how it's translated there. Without understanding. Without understanding. Now wait. I thought you said in verse 20 that they understood. I thought you said that they understood, and now he's saying that they what? They're without understanding. Well, they did understand. They did understand that God existed. They they saw God's eternal power, but what did they do with it? They suppressed it. They suppressed it. They refused it. So they have here what we call a self-imposed lack of understanding. This is a moral choice to refuse that truth. Now Paul continues to describe that heart and he says this foolish heart was what? Darkened. The self-imposed lack of understanding of the world and reality produces a darkened soul. When you walk away from the light of God's revelation, you descend into what? Darkness. You turn off the light, what do you have? Darkness. You can't have darkness with light. But there's a darkness that descends over the mind and over the emotions and over the wills. His, mo- his mind cannot think accurately. His fun- emotions don't function properly. And he acts in total rebellion to God. His soul is characterized by darkness, the absence of light. So what do we mean, light and darkness? When we're talking about light and darkness, what do we mean? Well, light speaks of truth and purity, truth and moral purity. Therefore, darkness speaks of error, falsehood and moral impurity. I think the emphasis here on the text on thinking is primarily to do with the the absence of truth and the embracing of error and falsehood. This is a darkness that fills the pagan heart. Now, the irony is profound. Do you see it? I mean, think about this. When a sinner rejects God's light in revelation and turns to his own way to some other way, what does he always claim to have found? Enlightenment, right? Aren't we, people are looking for what? Enlightenment. In fact, what, for the first time in history, man came up with a worldview that didn't include God at all. And that period was called the what? The Enlightenment, right? Somehow they claim that they have found truth. They have found enlightenment. But from God's perspective, abandoning God as revelation never produces light, but always darkness. Now, darkness has a defining quality in that it destroys. It always destroys our sense of what? Reality. You can't see in the dark. That's why I keep the light off in my office. Nobody can see the mess. It destroys reality, right? Paul's point is that every sinner at the center of his person has a settled darkness. Paul makes a similar point in Ephesians 4.18 as we saw a moment ago. There he describes not the hearts but the minds of unbelievers as darkened. And this word is, is, means complete darkness. not simply dim but blocked out. The light is completely gone. There's a complete absence of light in the thinking of the process of man. In other words, he has completely rejected the truth and so everything that he is thinking has to be what? False. If you reject truth, if you believe a lie, it's not the truth. There's no, other, there's no middle ground. And this is why we cannot trust human reason As brilliant as people are, and they are brilliant, and their reasoning power is tremendous, it is still darkened because they start with the wrong truth and they cannot see, they cannot have truth. They cannot understand why we're here. They cannot explain who God is. They cannot give meaning to life. They cannot live in a way that's pleasing to God. Remember, as soon as you go to darkness, you go to what? A lack of truth. Which means when you live in error, you can never live what? In a way that's pleasing to God. Everything that you do is immoral. Think about that. Everything you do is immoral because you can do nothing for the glory of God. You are not giving him honor and giving thanks. You may be doing great things and wonderful things, humanly speaking, but they are impure because they are not done for the glory of God. Well, there's a third consequence and that's self-confident foolishness. This is another consequence of man's rebellion against this God. Look at verse 22. Professing to be wise, they became what? Fools, fools professing means to state something with confidence to, to assert to, to make a claim and these people claim with great confidence what to be wise The greek word here sophos is where we get our word where we get our english word sophisticated our philosophy and so forth it means wise And so, Paul's point is that those darkened minds confidently claim that they are highly intelligent and have profound sight into the world and into reality. Romans gets very practical here. You read the internet, you read the newspaper, some of you still know what that is, right? You read magazines and journals, right? The discovery, we now know more than any time in history about the world. We live, at a, we live at a time where we know more than people have ever known before. We understand humanity better than any time in history. Right? We've evolved. We know better. And sadly, this kind of thinking has come into much of of the church, where now all of a sudden we think we can understand scripture in a way that those poor dummies who got scripture didn't know. Because we all know what? I mean, you've been to high school, people don't walk on water, (laughs) come on, right? You might float a little, but you're certainly not going to walk, right? we got to get rid of that story because after all we we recognize that the world just can't accept those sort of things and we know it to be better and so now we can interpret scripture and we can say well not everything there is actually scripture because we know now right those people are a little superstitious but we know better and so that evolutionary thinking even comes into the theology of some we must be careful and you can, you can see them pounding their chests. We're smarter than any time in history. We have better insights than any time in history. Why? Why? Because we think we're smart. We think we're wise. But notice Paul says, those who are claiming to wise to be wise are what? Foolish. They have become moros, morons, moronic. By claiming to be intelligent and profound, and having cutting themselves off from the creation, they have become what? Foolish fools foolish in their understanding. They cannot see what is true. Their wisdom is not true wisdom. There's a great irony in all of this because the product of the hard-hearted rebellion of willful ignorance of flawed thinking and darkened mind leads to profound self-confidence, a foolish self-confidence. Proverbs 26, 12 says, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Right? I'm wise, right? Right? At least the fool knows he's foolish most of the time, right? Isaiah forty-seven ten, speaking to Babylonians, you secure in your wickedness, you felt secure in your wickedness and said, no one sees me, right? It's a closed system, nobody sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge, they have deluded you for you have said in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. Right? What happened to the Babylonians? Right? God crushed them. Jeremiah 8, dealing with Judah's sins, and he makes a comment. He's dealing with specifically with the leaders of the nation. He says, how can you say we, we are wise and the law of The Lord is with us, but behold, the lying pen of the scribe has made it into a lie. Here are people who attach themselves to the truth, but they take the truth and distort it, so the result is the opposite of truth. It's a lie. Boy, does that go on today in supposed Christianity. The wise men are put to shame. They are dismayed and caught. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord, verse 9. Notice that they distorted the word of God. And they ultimately, what, in distorting it, rejected truth, and therefore, verse nine says, what kind of wisdom do they have? And the answer to that is what? None at all, none at all. Paul makes the same point in 1 Corinthians 3. Corinthians are enamored with their first century Greek philosophy. They loved wisdom. Remember when we went through 1 Corinthians and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.18, let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he might become wise. He must become foolish. We are not here to make the world think we're clever. Right? God said he called not many mighty, not many wise. Embrace it embrace the truth, be willing to be called a fool. We're not here to impress the world. We're simply here to declare the truth. The only way to actually be wise is, is to, want to acknowledge your foolishness. You have to put away your wisdom for God's. Paul said, for the wisdom of the world is foolishness before God, for it is written, he is the one who catches the wise, what? In their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise, that they are what? Useless. To God, men's wisdom is foolishness. And this is is where we recognize this. Even though They hold ideas and views that are irrational. They don't get it. We look around and we go like, what are people thinking? Why are people doing what they do? You're supporting people who want you dead. You're supporting people who want to oppress you. And you're thinking, what are you doing? It's irrational and you try to explain it to them and they say, "Uh, what are you trying to say? I don't get it. I don't get it. It's why, because they've suppressed the truth to the point where they hold these irrational views and they don't understand the irrationality of it. And this is why I always say, people don't argue with people about their philosophies don't argue with them. I don't care if they believe in evolution. I don't care if they believe the world is flat. I don't think if they have some worldly, uh, other, other view of life. What they need is the gospel. The gospel is what overcomes foolishness. And you're trying to argue with people who God says, because of their willful rejection of the truth, they know they are blind to the truth and they are irrational. They are not dealing in reality. And the only reality that they can know is the truth of God and he must open their eyes. So give them the truth and let the Holy Spirit work and open their eyes. The only hope for this darkness is the gospel. The only hope for this irrational thinking is the gospel. We must give them the gospel that they are to save them. Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. Our gospel is veiled. It is veiled to those who are perishing, right? How did it happen? How did it get lost? In whose case the God of this world, that's Satan, the God of this world system in which we live, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not, what, see the light. And where is the light? It's in the gospel and the glory of Jesus Christ you're not gonna argue and reason people into the kingdom. You can't, you can't get people saved by some clever argument. You must realize that ultimately, you are dealing with people who have denied reality because God says they have. We're not sitting in judgment, we're just simply telling you the way that God has said it. And so God sent his son into the world, right? He was to be the what, John one, the light of the world he was to bring truth he was to be the one who would reveal god so what do we do as paul says we do not preach ourselves but christ is lord for god who said light shall shine out of darkness says what shall shine in your hearts he's the one shine in our hearts that's why God calls us out of darkness, what? Into his marvelous light. He must call, he must give the light. So you might wanna say, why is Paul taking so much time to explain the response of the moral pagan? Why, why is he doing this? Well, there's a number, a number of reasons First of all, he wants to exalt the work of Christ and increase our praise and adoration. In other words, if if you're saved today, you're one of those pagans. You were. You were exactly in that position, helpless, and he saved you. He regenerated you, gave you the ability to come in faith and repentance. He deserves all honor and glory and praise that he took you out of darkness and put you into his marvelous light. And you should be the one who is now what? Glorifying and being grateful to your Savior. I think he also does it just to help us to understand the unbelievers around us. Sometimes we're confounded by the behavior of people and their thinking. And we think, what's wrong with them? They're insane. And the reality is, the Bible says actually they really are because they've denied reality. We used to lock people up who denied reality, but now we affirm them. And we we actually lock up the people who actually affirm reality. And yet, we must recognize that we are dealing with people who cannot see. They cannot. And so instead of being angry and upset, we need to pity them. And we need to pray for them and ask God to open their eyes. And we must recognize, God saves, not you. God saves, not you. And unless there's a supernatural work, really the foolishness of the message preached is actually that. People just hear the gospel and it's gotta be one of the most foolish things you've ever heard until the Holy Spirit opens their eyes. Now we can understand why people do what they do. Thirdly, we must recognize if you're an unbeliever today, this is your true condition. This is your true condition. This is God's, God's statement about you. He says, you are willfully in rebellion to him. You won't honor him. You won't give him glory. You won't, you're not thankful, and therefore what? He says, you are what? Fool, futile in your speculation. Your, your foolish heart is darkened. Professing to be wise, you are a fool. That's God's indictment of you this morning. It's not comfortable it's not doesn't even seem particularly nice but it's the truth and so this morning you need to ask god to give you eyes to see that he would open your eyes that he would have mercy on you so that you might see who he is god wants to drive you to him because he says for the wrath of god is revealed God's wrath is being revealed presently on you and will ultimately be fully revealed to you when he returns. And so there's a warning here. Flee to him. Ask him to give you understanding. Open, ask him to bring you to the light. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how how many degrees you have. He says the only way is through Jesus Christ. So come today, ask him to grant you the repentance that you need, that you might come into the light. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for a glimpse into humanity we cannot help but be reminded of the helpless state of man without your grace, without your mercy. And Lord, before our conversion, this is exactly who we were. And it was only because of your grace, only because of a righteousness given to us from you that we now have had our eyes open. So we give you all praise and honor and glory. May you help us to love the lost and to pity the lost. And then to go share the good news with them. And we pray that you would go before us and that you might build your church by saving and turning sinners into saints. I pray for your glory. Amen.